This episode of Warp 5 is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPad and iPod, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Hi, I'm Anthony Montgomery, Ensign Travis Mayweather on Star Trek Enterprise, and you're listening to Trek FM. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Warp 5, our dedicated Enterprise show. I'm Christopher Jones, and joining me this week is my co-host from our Deep Space Nine show, The Orb, and our Star Trek books and comics show, Literary Treks. Matthew, welcome to the NX-01. Man, Chris, it is great to be here. I've got to say, I've been wanting to get a look at the NX-01 from the inside out. She's a beauty. Uh, I was just down at the mess hall, played some checkers with Mayweather, uh, I'm I'm sorry to say I whooped his ass, um, but I'm, I think he's used to it. Uh, I just hang out with Tapal a little bit. She gave me some tea recipes to try, and Hoshi was trying to teach me Denobulin, but oh my gosh, uh, I've got a bit of a stomachache though. So I was just about to head down to sick bay with Flox to see if he could give me something for that. Well, that's a good idea because we're going to talk about Flox today. We're going no to- way. <laughs> you, you you didn't know that, did you? Uh, <laughs> no, I just thought we were here to visit you. the ship. I didn't had no yeah. idea I had something to do. Just a tour. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah today we're going to continue our look at the characters on Enterprise. We only have two main characters who we haven't already covered, and that's Phlox and Travis Mayweather. So today we're going to talk about Phlox. And Matthew, you and I have done so many great character analysis episodes on the orb for the Deep Space Nine characters, I really wanted to have you come on and uh, do one of those shows with me here on Warp 5, and in particular to talk about Flox, because Flox is a character on the show who I feel is is very well-rounded because he does come off as an ordinary guy, but he also is that outside voice in the 22nd century uh, on a ship which is crewed by humans, except for T'Pol. and but 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 you know, she's a little bit intense to to really be that outside voice, like a Spock or Data, and so I feel like Flox fills that role for us here on the show. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, I also really think Chris, when we look at Flox, um, he reminds me. A lot of like a Dax type character, uh, yeah. In, in yeah. the sense that he's somebody who's lived for a very long time. Uh, in fact, Flox was born somewhere in the late 21st century, so he's been around the block, um, and he is extremely smart. Um, I mean, I was reading on Memory Alpha all the different things that that Flox has a degree in. It's ridiculous. He's got more than a dozen degrees. Exactly, yeah. and. 
uh, Eric Soon even said to him that uh, his reputation in the sciences just rivals his own, which is incredible to think mm-hmm. that anybody, you know, Soon would say anything like that to anyone. But Flocks is just that kind of mind. And yet you would never necessarily know that because he's just so jovial. He's like Santa Claus in space uh, with, you know, pyrithian bats. <laughs> Santa Claus in space with pyrithian bats. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> never thought of it. I've never thought of him as Santa Claus, but like I don't want to come down and, and catch Santa Claus sitting next to my tree clipping his toenails in the middle of the night like flocks would be doing in Yeah, I mean or cleaning his tongue. I mean, goodness. Oh, God. <laughs> but what I do, you know what I'm saying like he, he just he's so jolly and jovial um yeah. he's 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 genuinely a joyful character. Um and, and we don't get yeah. a ton of that in Star Trek just somebody who always has this kind of sense of wonder and joy. And I think that the crew of the NX-01 really get to feed off of that with him because he's just as excited to be there as they are. Um, And one of the excitements for him is getting to know human beings and like he's genuinely interested in them. He he wants to know more about them. He couldn't know enough. And so I think that that makes him just um, a great addition to the cast, to the crew, um, and just a really interesting character because through him we're going to get to – learn about a lot of different characters because kind of like a miles his character is going to be set like the his characteristics and and, and he's not going to change a lot but everybody else right. is going to kind of change because of him yeah it's interesting that you say that that he's he's jolly and happy like that because one of the things that john billingsley said before enterprise launched and this was in an interview that he did with kevin dillmore for star trek communicator John Billingsley described Flocks saying, he embraces happiness. Life is a dream come and play. And it's exactly the feeling that you get. Because I think actually Flocks is more excited to be out there than the rest of the crew is. You know, I think other than Archer, he probably is the one who's the most excited to be out there. Uh, and Trip. I mean, obviously. Uh, you know, I, I think those three characters kind of share this idea that, at least at the beginning especially with Archer yeah. and Trip, they share this idea that space is a wonderful, amazing place. And uh, they're, they're, they're just so excited to see and learn and know everything. Um, and yet Phlox is able to be there kind of as, as, a, as a guide for them because he's seen it before, most of it. Um, and he's very even-keeled, even-tempered. And He's willing to accept others for who they are, not who who he wants them to be, which our human characters have such a problem with, really, at the beginning of the show. Yeah. Well, I, I just mentioned Kevin Dilmore's article from Communicator, and let's talk a little bit about creating the character of Phlox in the first place. And the the interview that Kevin did with John Billingsley and the article that he wrote started out like this, and, and I find it interesting, and I want to know what you think about how this sets up and describes Flocks. Because remember, this was written before the show launched. So this is based off of the character Bible, the series Bible a bit, and how John Billingsley would describe it. But, but Kevin wrote, Chinese tales recount acts and sage wisdom dispensed by Hotai, the laughing Buddha 
One of those tales finds Hotai entering a marketplace and starting to laugh. Hotai's genuine laughter was infectious, spreading among merchants and customers, young and old, throughout the village. When asked about truth or enlightenment or any other matter, Hotai would laugh. That was his lesson. Does that sound like flocks as you came to know him when people would come into sickbay and talk to him? You know, I think most of the time you get yeah. that sense with flocks that that he's he's there to try and and encourage whoever it is that's coming to him to be a better version than themselves. Find the silver lining. You know, that's I I think flocks is a silver linings guy. You know, um, it, it, I think. Literally, Flocks has a silver linings playbook sitting up on his shelf, and he just he pulls it out, and he kind of helps you find whatever it is that that you're missing, you know, to to find that joy. And I think that's part of um, just his existence. Uh, he, he's been around for a long time, and he's decided to make the best out of life. You know, um, Flocks is a character that definitely lives by the motto: "When life gives you lemons, you make lemonade." I mean. As cliched as it is, I think he really pulls that off and he shows just how important it is to have a positive attitude, even when the worst things are happening. Um, because yeah. he's seen a lot of terrible things happen as well. Uh, and, you know, he's he's even told Archer, you know, he's done uh, he's done a, uh, some things he thought were, were unethical before. Um, he's seen a lot of death. Um, you know, he, he's seen war. He's seen all of this. But I think at the same time, he realizes that you can only you can only bring yourself down if you dwell on all that's terrible in the universe, you know. Um, and his his focus is on what is good, what is great. Um, and not that he's you know some kind of like pie in the sky guy who isn't doesn't have any kind of realism to him because that's not him at oh, all sure. either. No. Um, but no, I, no. I think he really helps the the, the crew. Um, and the rest of the characters on the show kind of find that in themselves when, when they have a hard time doing it. Yeah. Another thing he said about the character, John Billingsley said about the character in that early interview that, that relates to what you're saying is he said that there's a definite sense of wonder in the universe that this character will explore. He's just as much an anthropologist as a doctor at moments when everyone else may be scared. Flocks is thinking, this is fun. And yeah, that's just, he's, he's an easygoing guy. That's that's pretty much how I take him. And what I was taking from this thing here about Hotai is that when people would come into sickbay and tell him something, so often flocks would just be like, <laughs> you know, little kind of yeah. it's a small <laughs> chuckle. And, like, and then in a very calm, even-keeled voice would dispense... A little bit of wisdom, but but not in a conceited way, not like a, hey, I know more about the universe than you, but just in, yeah, and by the way, have you thought about it like this? And he says it very, very kind of off the cuff. And so, so I, I do see him as kind of being that sort of Buddha character to everyone on the ship. Yeah, I mean, I always uh, think of him at, at the very first episode, you know, uh, when he's talking to Archer in Sick Bay and optimism, Captain. You know, he's the huge <laughs> smile. Yeah. Uh, just uh, that really set the tone for who the character was going to be. And I think after that, 
you're right. You really see him, um, you know, when, when somebody comes in, um, and something's happened, he's, he's very, uh, he's just so easy to approach. (laughs) It makes me think of when, uh, Tucker gets pregnant and he's like, "Uh, no, that is a nipple. And it's just so matter of fact, you know, like, like, well, no, like, like that can't happen to a, a, you know, the male of a species, you know? Uh, So just his, I, I, to watching him kind of deal with things like that, where our characters like Trip or Archer, you know, Mayweather, anybody else is, is kind of like freaked out at that point. Like you said, he's just like, yeah, no, this is just what things are like. This is fun. This is, this is the universe. You, you know, you play around in it, things happen. <laughs> you get pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> Let me also ask you, what do you think about introducing a completely new race in a prequel series? So it's the 22nd century, and there are going to be two aliens on the Enterprise. One's a Vulcan. It's very obvious in the setup of the show how that works. But the other one's a Denobulan, a race that we've never heard of before. And because it's a prequel, it immediately makes you ask, well, what happened to the Denobulans? I mean, hopefully as a viewer, of course you can step back and say, we don't know anything about them because no one ever thought about creating them before. And all those shows in the 24th century, 23rd and 24th were, were made long ago before this. Uh, but but in universe, it does raise the question of what happened to the Denobulans. Did do you think it was maybe a questionable idea to create an entirely new race, or did it did it add something? Did it allow them to do something through flocks that they couldn't have done otherwise? Well, man, Chris, I know exactly what happened to the Denobulans. There's a Denobulan doctor on the Enterprise E with Doctor Crusher. So I mean, there's your answer. Um, and uh in the books that is um <laughs> right 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 um but you have to get into the books exactly you know, exactly stuff, so. you know um that is a i think that that is probably the thing that fans probably bristled at one of the one of the most uh, at the the prequel series in, in in enterprise and i think um flox's character was one that was probably quickly maligned uh, because yeah, uh, your first thought is, okay, I, I don't know anything about this race. Why wouldn't I know anything about this race? This is ridiculous. Um, but at the same time, I come down on the other side and saying that having Fox there created the the ability for the show not to have to rely on the Vulcans the way the original series did, um, and Spock. Yeah. We to be that voice exactly. from the outside. Because yeah. to Paul and the Vulcans aren't going to be the same Vulcans we knew. And they're very intentional about that. Uh, you know, the, the fourth season of Enterprise has the whole writers um, uh, uh, getting together, the talking about yeah. exactly their roundtable. And they talk about how they were very intentional in, in creating the, this this different feel for the, the Vulcans. And they were going to need to change, you know, and I think that they kind of needed on the show a third party, you know, to be able to kind of speak into things and and see things from a different point of view. And you get the feeling like, too, from Phlox and the Denobulans, that they're very, very, very slow to join the 
the outside universe. You know, they 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 travel with people. They 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 do commerce with people. But as in joining the Federation right away or anything like that at those points, they're going to take it really slow. Uh, Phlox yeah. even talks about that, that they're, they're not a quick-moving people when it comes to those kind of things. So it doesn't really bother me. I felt like they did a good job of kind of subtly explaining why we don't know too much about um, the, the Denobulans further on down the line. And you know what it makes me think is just – there's always a Denobulan around the corner, and in those shows, I just don't see them. That's that's kind of what I. That's my head cannon. Like a Denobulan in a scant passing down the corner. Oh gosh! Oh, wouldn't that be great to see? Um, <laughs> wow! Whoo goodness! Yeah. I don't know if we want to see that. So no, but I I agree with what you're saying about the character, and I think that if you can't use the Vulcans in that way. Who else would you use in the Star Trek universe? Established races. I, I think that it was a good idea to create a completely new race. And if, if you read the history of Denobula, a lot of elements of it do sort of mirror Earth history as well. Mm-hmm. And they that that way, I think Flox he brings that perspective, um, the audience perspective very well he's he's not really the point of view character in the show so much i think hoshi is really the point of view character the 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 most prominent point of view character on enterprise but um but uh flox is like the wise man who who looks at it from the outside in the in the book federation the first 150 years which is sort of like the history of the federation which you actually have right matthew yes you have the i do the pedestal don't mm-hmm. you so i do uh, they they talk about in there that Denobulans were one of the first alien races to visit Earth after the Vulcans made first contact. And uh, that they were also important, at least strategically important, in the Earth-Romulan War as well. So even though, even though we don't see Denobulans in the later series because they hadn't been invented yet, like you say, maybe they are right around the corner because they do seem to have been quite important in mankind's uh, venture out into space. Well, and again, you know, they, they might not have been as quick to, to kind of want to join in with, say, the, you know, the Coalition of Planets or the Federation per se, but they do seem to like to lend a helping hand to others. They seem to be a very giving race. And yeah. you can see that in flocks and, and just in general with the Denobulans and, and the way that they are willing to share their medical knowledge and that kind of stuff with other peoples. And so I think it's really interesting to see that. And it, it doesn't bother me too much. You know, I, I can definitely rationalize it and let it go. And I think Flox turns out to be such a, a great character in Enterprise that I don't care by the time the show ends at all. That, sure. you know, you yeah. don't see Denobulan in, in another part of, uh, you know, Star Trek. And so um, maybe, yeah. hey, maybe one will show up in JJ's universe. Maybe so. So one last thing before we move off of creating the character. This I also found interesting because I think that Flox, because of John Billingsley, is one of the overlooked gems of Enterprise because John Billingsley's acting is so great and natural. He is like 
and I know you and I just talked about Miles O'Brien on the orb and Colmini, but John Billingsley is like a Colmini to me. Another one of these actors who you feel like isn't acting. He's just there. He's just himself. And in, in the interview with Kevin that he did, he talked about being in the theater and he said, I love the energy you draw from the audience in theater, but 20 years in theater, and I don't miss the theater now, the reality is that a stage tries to suit the size and scope of the theater. You need a big performance for a big space. I like being on camera because it's a challenge to be truer to life in a smaller way. And he said this again before the show launched. And if there's one thing that I can see through Flux and John Billingsley's performance throughout all of Enterprise It is that being truer to life in a smaller way. Like the performance is generally very intimate with him in sickbay and does feel very much like you're you're talking to somebody in the room with you. Not an alien, not an actor trying to play a role, just you're just talking to somebody who's very true to life. Do you do you feel that as well? I do. Um I, I think the I think one of the greatest things about Billingsley is his um, subtlety and his nuance in his acting. Yeah. Um, and, and that really comes across when he's talking about this this kind of smaller, you know, people, we don't make ridiculous gestures all the time uh, and, 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 and talk really loud as you need to do on stage. You know, um, it's it's the subtlest hints that we do, you know, the, the way our eyebrow raises or the the slump of the shoulders, the you know, any of that kind of thing that just lets you know that somebody's thinking something or something's going on in their, their mind. And, and he does that really well, especially under the makeup that he has, which I know for him was not enjoyable, um, but uh, he does it really well. And, and so uh, he brings um, just an authenticity to the character of Flocks that um, another actor I think would have missed. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Yeah. Okay, well, let's talk about his role as chief medical officer a little bit. Now, you are a big fan of chief medical officers. I know that you love Dr. McCoy in the original series. I know you love Beverly in The Next Generation. Uh, and of course, as we talk about on the orb all the time, you also appreciate Julian Bashir on DS9. How do you how do you see flocks fitting into that group of chief medical officers? You know, what what's similar, what's different for you in him? You know, I think he's one of the most unique chief medical officers and and mainly because of the way that they had him using what we would consider kind of primitive methods um, mm-hmm. you know, willing to use a more organic means of of um um healing and medication and all of those things, which I think is very interesting. Um, I honestly I feel like for me, that kind of connects him a little bit more with Dr. McCoy than what we were accustomed to in the uh, Star Trek. Yes, I think so as well. Um, and just the idea that, um, you know, somebody like McCoy would be willing to use kind of more of a home remedy, you yeah. know, as long as it worked just as well as some newfangled thing, you know, um, you know, we also see McCoy in, in Star Trek Four <laughs> talking about the the antiquatedness of our medicine. You know, and so, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, I think Phlox was a great representation of taking the old and the new. I think he is a great representation of that Eastern style medicine that takes mm-hmm. the 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 new technologies 
and the the old ways and melds them mm-hmm. together and finds where they they mix. Um, yeah. And so I, I you know that goes a lot uh, that goes along very well with kind of how Billingsley saw the character kind of being this Buddha type character, which yeah. flows right into him kind of being a, a little bit more. I mean, he's not a mystic at all. Flock says no. has no spirituality in him, but it, this the idea of that you know what has come before us medically and is natural is just as effective as anything else that we can make synthetically or any of that and sometimes even better um because it is natural and so i i liked that about him because there's a i think that's true now and i think it'll still be true in the future and it it made a lot of sense to me yeah i feel like it's Maybe a little bit of an analogy with how we are today with all of our technology and our computers and our televisions and our cars and everything that like most of us have no idea how this stuff really works, right? We use it and it's easy, but we don't have a connection with with what underlies it, you know, the, the ideas and theories and the, and the functionality that underlies it and what makes it work. And I can see that happening in the 24th century with medicine where, you know, you just wave a dermal regenerator over something or you just, you know, like you mentioned Star Trek four where the lady says, doctor gave me a pill and my kidneys better. You know, it's just, (laughs) it's so easy. Whereas with Phlox, it, it seems very much like he has a connection with the causes of the ailments more so than doctors may down the road in star trek well and and trying to get to the the root of the issues you know and i think this is one of the cool things that we see about flocks is that you know he has all these degrees you know uh, veterinary medicine dentistry uh, uh, botanical pharmacology and psychiatry you know this is somebody yeah. who who takes the whole of the the being and is trying to care for them all um and you see that, I think, in, in the way that he um, cares for his patients and he takes care of them with what we would consider very strange remedies. And yet he's taking care of the whole person, and I really, really like that. And I think it makes him a fantastic chief medical officer and, and well deserves his place up there with, with the uh, Bashirs and McCoys and Crushers and, you know, all the other chief medical officers that we've seen. And, you know, maybe not the doctor because it's not really fair. On uh, And no, I don't mean <laughs> the doctor with the TARDIS. Um, I mean the doctor from Voyager because he's oh, just programmed okay. with everybody's Well, he's memories, programmed so. with everyone else's knowledge, exactly. which actually he would be programmed with Flox's knowledge as well, which is exactly. something we never really think about. So. That must be why he keeps a Pyrithian bat over in the corner that scares Cass all the time. Yeah, goodness. Oh, man. <laughs> it's funny. Um, it's off topic a little bit, but when you said he heals the whole person, it just popped in my head. Douglas Adams, Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency, and his slogan, We solve the whole crime. <laughs> we find the whole body. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Oh goodness! Um, but you you mentioned the the unusual methods, and he has all these these creatures in his sick bay. And when we talked about Flux's sick bay here on Warp Five, I believe we named the episode "Welcome to the Menagerie." 
And in the, I'm going to go back one more time to that interview that he did with Kevin Dilmore for Communicator back before the show launched. And what John Billingsley said also related to this is he says, what interests me is that Phlox is a doctor, but not a specialist. He's a philosopher, an astronomer, a naturalist, a little bit of everything. And he likes a lot of critters. So he surrounds himself with them. So much of sickbay reflects his philosophy about the universe. It is changing and growing, and all of us are part of it. And that that's an interesting take on why he has all those critters in his sickbay, but also I think ties into his philosophy and how he approaches medical problems as well, and, and why he's so excited to be out there and to explore along with the Enterprise crew even though the things he encounters in their exploration is already more familiar to him than it is to the humans. But yeah, just this idea and this connection with nature, which of course goes back to the Buddha bit at the, at the beginning of, of that article, that uh, he does he's in tune with the universe and realizes that things are changing all the time. And that you need to have that uh, organic connection because we're all part of the universe. You know, we're all made of the same material that everything else in the universe is made of, even if we we seem to be different. Well, I think uh, too, it it helps you keep connection with life. Like, you know, when you live in a completely synthetic world, um, you lose something of what it means to be alive, and that connection mm-hmm. is is connection with. So all of creation, you know, all that's been created, all that's here, you know, it's, it's not just let's make a machine to do everything, you know, like we've got animals and we've got plants and we've got all the stuff that we all have a connection. And therefore, um, I think Phlox's way of, of um, using all of that in medicine and for the betterment of uh people is a huge deal um, because he's taking into account the whole of life not just what we can create there there's yeah. other things out there that we didn't create but they're still just as viable and 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 sometimes even better than what we could think of you know um, and I think that's a that's a cool thing about flocks is that he, you know, he's willing to admit that, like, I don't, you know, species kind, because alien kind, uh, is not always the end-all, be-all, you know. Um, other other things are, are, have the answer as well. So uh, it's not just what our brains can think of, but it, it's all the stuff around us, you know. And, and like an mm-hmm. osmotic eel, putting that on your leg and letting it cauterize a wound and help heal you. You know, it is actually a better way of healing you than just running a dermal regenerator over it because it helps put all that back together in a much more natural and, 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 and uh, way for your body. You know, yeah. it's better for your body. So I just think that's a really cool thing to see. And it, yeah, it, it doesn't really get thought about a lot, I don't think, when we think about flocks and it's sick bay and it's just kind of weird. Um, you know, having an eel. It's easy on the surface to just yeah. see it as like weird, all these animals and he's putting eels on you and leeches and yeah. 
dumping his toenail clippings <laughs> into animal cages. And, yeah. and then that whatever it was, marsupial rat or something, sucks yeah. on your blood or something. Yeah, that's weird. He just ate flocks Yeah, the Altarian marsupial. Yeah. Ugh. Well, the thing that's... about the Altarian marsupial is that their droppings are, are great because their droppings are the greatest concentration of regenerative enzymes found anywhere. Well, you know, uh, I, I feel like I might as well just go have a big old plate of bat guano uh, while I'm at it. So, <laughs> Well, so this connection to nature leads us into the, the other primary point that, that I wanted to discuss today, and that's his role on the ship, which I see as being the counselor in a lot of ways. I mean, he is the chief medical officer, but there's no counselor. You know, there's no counselor Troy. There's no Esri Dax on this uh, NX-01 at this point in the 22nd century. But people come and they talk to Flocks. And not only does he serve the function of counselor on the ship, he actually does it a whole lot better than Troy ever did on The Next Generation because it's something about his connection with the nature of existence that he's able to to comfort people if they need comforting, which is the case often with Hoshi. He's able to help people o- open their horizons and try new things, which is the case with Topol. He's able to give guidance to Archer in making decisions when there's no prime directive yet to guide what the, what the captain does. How do you see Flox's role in interacting and sort of nurturing the rest of the crew. You know, I, I see him very much in the role of McCoy um, in mm. this. You know, McCoy was very much that for the crew, I think, um, and especially, obviously, for Captain Kirk and even Spock, um, giving them a place to go. Um, because, I mean, the captain is in charge of the chief medical officer, and yet the chief medical officer is actually the one in charge of the captain and the only one mm-hmm. who could tell the captain what to do. Um, right. and, and, and so, uh, and that's the same here on the NX-01 with, with Flocks and, and Archer. He has that same power as the chief medical officer. And, and so therefore it creates a more equal friendship and, and relationship there. And, um, and I think Archer is humble enough to know that, um, Flocks knows a lot more about the universe than he does. And he trusts him, and I think implicitly, and I, I think Flox also has shown himself to be trustworthy and uh, created for him, himself um, an aura of, of um, yeah, happiness and jovialness that makes you want to approach him. Um, and then, like you said, giving advice in a way that just seems so effortless, like you're just talking to a friend, you know? Yeah. And... I, I think that that made him a fantastic character for everyone on the show. Um, you know, whether it was Hoshi or to Paul or Archer to really be able to kind of, um, bounce things off of and, and, and give us a better idea of who those characters were by him, um, just sitting and listening and then offering, you know, some sage advice, um, that wasn't pushy. Uh, and yet, um, was forceful when it needed to be as well. You know, I, I, I think of when he talked to, to Paul about her addiction 
and he he's so kind and so gracious to her um, and yet he doesn't hold back from reminding her that this is going to be very difficult right. uh, he he doesn't he doesn't sugarcoat it at all for her um because I think he he really wants her to see the gravity of everything that's going on with her um but the way that he deals with it is just incredibly gracious um and and so those kind of moments i I think um really go to show the depth of the character um and um just what an asset he was to the crew as a counselor, a doctor, and, and, and you know, so much more. Just a friend um, and somebody that anybody could come to and talk to without feeling like um, they were going to be judged or, you know, put down. And I mean, I don't mm-hmm. know. I, I think you probably, Chris, have, have had a friend like that in life. And those are the people that you just want to hold on to, you know? That's yeah. I pretty much see him in in the same light, and I, I really appreciate the relationships that he has with Hoshi in particular because she is like the point of view character for for a lot of us, especially in season one, and the way he's able to counsel her. Um, I also enjoyed like his kind of semi relationship, would you call it, with Cutler. Uh, was interesting because he's helping her sort of open her eyes, but at the same time, you know, he's she's kind of helping him understand human relationships a bit as well. And then I, I think um, if I sum up Flux's personality like in one image, it might be when he's alone on the ship in Doctor's Orders and... He's sitting there alone, watching a movie, eating some popcorn, the big smile on his face. I think that's Phlox to me. He's just happy, go lucky, carefree, uh, very, very capable, um, a, a great friend to the crew, but but ultimately easygoing and happy. And I guess that's sort of the kind of, of life I would like to live, but uh, it's not always not always easy. Well, you know, uh, apparently even in, in the 22nd century, they live in kind of a moneyless society. So he's not really worried about a lot of things like that. Um, and when you've got so many different wives and husbands, they can all take care of each other. It's fine. That's true. That's true. Would well, you have any final thoughts on flocks, Matthew? Well, you know, Chris, uh, I think when I think of flocks. I think of those moments when he does um, kind of have to challenge people. Um, I, I think of when he challenges uh, Archer um, about uh, taking the warp coil, uh, yeah. and not just not necessarily just challenge, but I mean, he he reminisces with him, and he um, uh, he he comes to Archer on his level, saying, "I've I've I've done." these things too and it changes you he and he does it in a much better way i think than than obviously T'Pol does um and those are the kind of moments where i really see flock shining through because he could come off as being so arrogant and just i know better and yet even in a situation like that he's empathizing with archer and he's 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 almost trying to make him feel better for the decision he has to make uh, because I think he knows the decision Archer's going to make and he knows it's not going to change. 
and he realizes there's not really a lot Archer can do about it either. So there, it's it's better for me not to make him feel even worse about it than he already does. And I think that encouragement of saying that I can see that you you know you feel terrible about this. Um, those are the kind of moments when I when I think of Flox is that's what made this character so great. Um, that's why we needed this character on the show when we were talking about you know. Do you add a, a an alien race that we've never seen before? Uh, if you hadn't had him on there, um, that episode is very different, and those kind of episodes are very different. Especially, uh, I also think back to the uh, the episode where um, Archer has to make the decision about the uh, the 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 planet with the two races on it, and right. whether or not he gives them the uh, the cure or not, because one of them is about to. Basically, one of them is going to die out, and the other ones are going to evolve and become the dominant species on the planet. Um, yeah. And uh, a huge episode, and, and uh, you know, life changing for Archer too, and and, and the idea of a prime directive. Um, so, those are the kind of things where I think Flox is is just so well done, and 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 like we said, Billingsley and his characterization is is just fantastic. And I really, really enjoy uh, just getting to know him. Um, to me, I, honestly, I was crushed when mm-hmm. Kelly Waymeyer died. Um, yeah, and, and they and they couldn't continue their friendship. Crewman Cutler. Yes, yeah. Crewman Cutler. Um, one oh God, she was beautiful and amazing as an actress. And yeah, I, I tell everyone she's my Leffler of Enterprise. Uh, and yeah, there's something I'm about her. That. I just uh, am drawn. I to her. Yeah. oh my gosh. Uh, yeah. I think the thing about her was she was the girl next door, uh, you know. Um, but that relationship I thought was yeah. really interesting because yeah. we she actually enabled us to be able to to know a lot more about Flocks and Nobulans because um, she was somebody who asked him about himself. You know, not a lot of people did that a lot. Um, and yeah. so that's the other thing that I really it would have been gravitate. nice if that relationship could have continued because yeah, that was going somewhere. Exactly. With, with the character development, yeah. Um, so all in all, I think um, Flox is one of the greatest characters uh, that uh, Enterprise gave us. It's a very, very worthy addition to the Star Trek canon of characters, Flox is. And um, as you rewatch the show, uh, you know, it's easier to do Enterprise only four seasons. Um, maybe just watch specifically for flocks because I think you're going to be surprised and, and, and there's a lot to learn from him. So I think he flies under the radar because John Billingsley's performance, as we talked about, is just so natural and subtle. Yeah, that, definitely. Uh, yeah, I completely you don't agree. Necessarily latch on to it. Well, Matthew, thanks for dropping by today to talk about flocks with me. I really appreciate it. And uh, before. I let you go and wrap up the show here. Tell everyone where they can find you on the network and elsewhere on the interwebs. Well, Chris, um, if you are perusing the interwebs, and, and, and no, I don't mean those spidey interwebs, uh, you know, but... You're talking uh, about do... the series of tubes that connect us all, right? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, you can find me on Twitter at MattRushing02. You can also find me doing The Orb with you, where we talk about Deep Space Nine all the time. Uh, you, we also do another show called The Literary Treks, where we do the books and comics of uh, Star Trek. In fact, we just recently did uh, Tower of Babel with um, D. 
Dan from Treklet Reviews. We talked about that Enterprise book, so if you enjoy Enterprise, especially as it's being continued on the books, please join us there. I think you'll really enjoy that. Um, and then, of course, you, Chris, you can also find me on my own personal blog at 42lifeinbetween.wordpress.com. And every once in a while, you'll find me on the crown jewel of Trek FM, The Ready Room. That's right, including this week as we talk about DS9 over there. All right. Well, thanks again, Matthew. And I'll get back over to the station before Quark sells everything in your quarters. Oh, God. I'm so worried about that. That <laughs> and Morn like to steal my seat. He does. All right. I'll talk to you later. Well, I hope everyone enjoyed Matthew stopping by and our discussion of Dr. Phlox, but it's not the only thing we've been talking about here on the network this past week. So here's a quick look at some other things you may have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. Dr. McCoy with Larry Nemechek. But, you know, when everybody else had their Kirk shirt or their Spock shirt, like the first uniform I had my mom make me was a McCoy uniform, of course. Earl Grey. The 7-7 Challenge. Did you know that Tim Russ was one of the possible choices for Commander Jordan? But did you know he was also in Star Trek Generations? But did you know he was also served with Captain Sulu on board the Excelsior? I did know that, in fact. The Orb. Our Man Bashir Commentary. (laughs) I love Avery. (laughs) Tell me what happens next. <laughs> and the look, the look up at an angle. He's yes. not even looking at Bashir. He's no. looking up at the angle. Tell me it's... what happens next. <laughs> the ready room. Spectre of the gun. They just—they're so quick to jump to conclusions. Like the guy gets shot in front of them, and they're like, "Death is the only thing that's real on this planet." They're like, "Wait a minute! <laughs> How do you know that? That could just be a total figment of your imagination as well." To the journey. Favorite Sun Commentary. Yeah, Janeway is... uh, You better get more coffee, sweetie. It's going to be a long day. Ensign Kim is going to put you through some hell. Warp 5. Alternate Outcomes of the Zindi Crisis. But the Enterprise is heavily damaged. We're talking practically destroyed. Everything but a shell. Maybe the saucer section is the only thing that's still around. And... 80% 80% of the crew dies. Commentary, Trek stars. Rick Berman and Star Trek. He's kind of a moving target, so he found some dimensionality. He made it into a cube, <laughs> yeah. and so he was able to move things around in there. A board cube. Mm. <laughs> Continuing mission. Star Trek Equinox. John Savage actually came up with the premise for the story, but we, they needed somebody to flesh it out, to develop it, and... So they sent me John's premise, and I just, well, it expanded into the script for the project that we're doing. Melodic Treks. The Borg in Music. In when, when they released it as a Blu-ray, they, combined them, they connected yeah. them, and there's the no feature. delay. There's, they, they cut off that music, and then it's just like, oh, that didn't work. Literary Treks. Rise of the Federation, Tower of Babel. Saval talks about this idea that, you know, people mutually consent to abide by these rules for their collective benefit. The idea that, you know, absolute unfettered freedom is just a ridiculous idea. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. 
So check out all of these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe. We have new shows for you every day of the week, and some days we even have two shows, and you'll find them in a wide variety of places, including on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Windows Phone, Xbox, Zune. You can now find us on Spreaker as well, also in the Libsyn and the Blueberry directories. Or you can download or stream from our website. So pretty much anywhere you get your shows, you're going to find Trek FM there. Now, if you'd like to send us some feedback on today's show, share your thoughts with us on Dr. Flox, on Enterprise, or anything you want to talk about related to Star Trek, you can do that in a variety of ways. You can go to our website at trek.fm slash contact. There's a form there. Choose to send to a show and choose Warp 5, and that will come to us by email. You can also send us a voicemail through the website, or you can go to our forums at trek.fm slash forums to talk to us and other listeners about the show, about Enterprise, really anything in the Star Trek universe. There are lots of discussions waiting for you over there. If social media is your thing, you'll find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm. And you'll also find us on Twitter where we're tweeting away about Star Trek all the time under username trekfm. Now, Matthew told you where to find him. If you'd like to find me, you can find me on Twitter as well. My username is C Brian Jones. That's the letter C and Brian with a Y. You can find me pretty much everywhere in social media under that same username, as well as on my personal website at cbrianjones.com. And then elsewhere on the network, Matthew already mentioned that we do literary treks and the orb together. You'll also find me on Continuing Mission which is about Star Trek fan films, independent productions, and we're going to get into games over there soon as well. If you're interested in Star Trek Renegades, Continues, Axanar, Equinox, Horizon, you're going to find great interviews with the creators over there on that show. I also have Matterstream, which is an interview show with scientists and actors and other creatives about things that are inspired by Star Trek, not necessarily always about Star Trek. And then also, as Matthew mentioned as well, I believe, The Ready Room, which I host with other hosts from all around the network every week. And we talk about Star Trek news and all five live action Star Trek series over there. So check out those shows and find out what we're talking about. Before I let you go, I'd also like to tell you about our sponsor for today's show, and that's Audible.com, the best source for audiobooks that you'll find anywhere online. They have over 150,000 titles waiting for you, and they have new titles coming every week. Hundreds of new titles, in fact. Those are new releases, bestsellers, lots of classics as well, a great collection of science fiction, many of which are recorded by Audible's own studio as well, with great narrators bringing to life some of the classics of science fiction that were never turned into audio form before. And as a Trek FM listener, you can get any one of those books absolutely free. And the way you do that is to go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up for a trial. If you decide at the end that you don't want to stick with Audible, there's nothing to lose because you get to keep that free audiobook. But I know if you love podcasts, you're going to love audiobooks. I've been getting my audiobooks from Audible for 14 years. No plans to stop anytime soon. That's how great they are. Go check it out for yourself. I know you'll love it. AudibleTrial.com slash TrekFM. And we really thank Audible for their support of Warp 5 and the network. We'd also like to invite you to check out Andrew Allen's album, Smooth Federation. That's where the jazz cover of Where My Heart Will Take Me comes from that we use here on the show. And Andrew has nine other jazz renditions of music from across the Star Trek franchise waiting for you there. It's a really great album. I really think you're going to love it. Go check it out on iTunes or on Amazon. Really, really great stuff there by Andrew. Again, that album is called Smooth Federation. 
Well, thanks again for listening today, everyone. I hope you enjoyed our discussion about Dr. Flocks, and I really hope you'll share your thoughts with us about Flocks. You know, go to our forums, go to our website, trek.fm slash contact, and uh, let us know what you think about Dr. Flocks. And join us again next week here in the Decon Chamber for another episode of Warp 5. Recording. Recording. Ooh. Flox's special non-monogamy pants. <laughs> yeah. Fleasel Flox's flirtation pants. Oh, goodness. <laughs> that Tucker, he should have gone for that one. He got the okay. I don't know why he didn't. So. Oh, it's the best scene when she's showing him how to use the microscope. It's awesome. And- Flocks is sitting over there, like just. It's like seemingly he wants oblivious. It's like he wants to probably, watch. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Oh man. Yeah, it's Denobulan porn. <laughs> <laughs> That's not going to be the title of this episode. <laughs> Under the table. <laughs> okay, I'm good. All right. Ah, God, that was. Whew. We're too. We we yeah. spend too much time like this together, Chris. <laughs> All right, here we go. <laughs>